Welcome to the Hoot. It's me, Genevieve. I'm back. Hoot, hoot. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Gotcha, Mr. Murder. Beat me by that much. Thrown you now, haven't I? It's I have a over. bit. Yeah. I'm back from Japan. Konnichiwa. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> We're not going to spend hours talking about the bullet train, although it will get everybody riled up. Maybe that's for another, a deep dive, perhaps. A deep dive. I have caught the Shinkansen. It requires a lot more people than we have between here and Sydney, and that's just a fact. However, plenty of other things to discuss. Plenty. We're going to look at the voice referendums, political consequences and other fallout. We'll drop into Commonwealth Park and we'll also ask what connection there is between our growing obesity crisis and whether your car's at risk of getting dinged when pulling into the car park at Tuggeranong South Point. It's it's all the big stuff. I'll make the connections. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Let's start with the voice. Let's start with the voice. Now, not on the substance of the issue, because the people have spoken. They didn't want this particular proposal. This is, without doubt, a very participatory democracy, 97% enrolment. So whatever level of either distress and disappointment in some quarters or relief in others, we need to move forward as a nation. This wasn't the proposal that would work. But politically speaking, I think it's, it's interesting because it was a promise that the PM made and followed through on important for his credibility with a large swathe of his own base. But a 60% no result also means that there's a number of his own voters who were probably not on board. It will take some of the paint off. Where do you think this lands for the government politically? I think it's going to be a nothing in the long term. Mm. I Look, a lot of people are trying to blame Peter Dutton for this. Look, the man is about as popular as Footrot. Mm. If he had this enormous ability to sway people's mm. opinions... We'd see it in the opinion polls already. I think this was an idea whose time... uh, Look, I think the voice would have been supported had it been legislated, but he went a bridge too far. And I blame Gough Whitlam for this. Oh, do tell. (laughs) So here's my theory, folks. 1975, Gough Whitlam goes to Watties Creek. He pours red dirt into the hand of Vincent Lingiari. Highly symbolic moment. Photographs, you know, one of the great images of the... uh, of the Whitlam Prime Ministership. And if you look behind him, I think you can see a young Ian Bushnell. But the important (laughs) thing here... And a very, very significant and very important thing to do because this sets in chain eventually the entirety of the land rights movement and that is a major step in our national journey about recognition and reconciliation. Absolutely. And I think that's carried through all the Labor leaders in particular. So Bob Hawke, you remember, reconciliation was one of the pillars of Mm. his eight or nine years. Paul Keating had the Redfern speech, highly symbolic... Kevin Rudd had the sorry speech. Albanese, if he'd had the voice, it would have absolutely blown all of those out of the water. They'd be building monuments in Labor halls around the country. So you reckon he's looking for his legacy. I think you make an interesting and correct point about Peter Dutton. There's been some quite wishful thinking um, about you know how much damage there is done. Look, Albanese on the most recent polls, is he's 30 percentage points ahead. Mm. So the fact that he'll take a little bit of a ding and we're midway through the term. There's no intention of going to an early election. There's no possible reason why you would do that. And he's followed through on something that, that was a, a solemn promise on his part. I think you're right that it won't take too much pain he, off. He did. And I, there was a great line from Kerry Packer years ago that I think everybody should remember, particularly about Labor prime ministers who are often fated in that great man theory of history. Mm. Packer said, all prime ministers change when they get their first salute. And they seem to have this feeling that they're there by acclamation. And 
You're not. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> you're not. not. <laughs> In the case of Anthony Albanese, you were there because you were running against Scott Morrison, who destroyed his own reputation very quickly, and it's only deteriorated since. History will not be kind to Scott Morrison. Yeah. Anthony Albanese, I think, can't take his own publicity too seriously. And the other thing about this too is that Peter Dutton will not be leading the Liberal Party back into the lodge, into into government. That, that, that's not going to happen. Peter Dutton is the Liberal Party's leader for here and now. But I do think one of the interesting questions for the future this points up, and Chris Johnson's written about this, is how any government takes on very major change at this level. Because unless a proposal is bipartisan, it will not get up. That's the evidence of this referendum. An interesting conversation while I was away with a New Zealander. They, they like Queensland, don't have an upper house. And she said, look, one of the consequences of that is that very major change that some people may find quite frightening becomes more possible in that system, mm. rightly or wrongly. It is responsible for a devastating blow to the New Zealand economy in the form of Robert Muldoon's superannuation promise, which has left a lot of very comfortable and cheerful old New Zealanders and <laughs> just about wrecked the economy, um, which he did on the spur of the moment with an election coming well, up. Well, luckily, we, I mean, we would have the same situation here essentially with public sector superannuation had the Howard government not put aside an mm. absolute shirtload of money into mm. the future fund, which is now literally paying dividends. But I wonder whether this vote indicates that Australian governments can't expect to make very large and possibly controversial changes. I mean, certainly there's not going to be a republic referendum for quite some time on the, on the basis of this. Yeah, I think the quality of our politicians has deteriorated significantly in the past 20 years. I think you could easily make the case that the last big reform we had in Australia, like it or not, was the GST. And mm. Howard spent two to three years campaigning for that yep. between the 98, uh, sorry, mm. going up to the um, the 98 election, and he almost lost the 2001 election on it. Um, and they worked incredibly hard and almost... Mm. You know, it became one-term wonders for it. Yeah. Do we have politicians with that courage? Do we have a mechanism for this courage? Um, you know, is there a, is there a way through? Given that if you don't have bipartisan support for very big things, you won't get up. And I do want to mention something else that's pertinent to this. Um, Meta, which runs Facebook, employed the AAP fact-checking team on issues around the referendum. Now, look, I've had a look into their results. It's it's really interesting stuff because they, they link and they've they've photoshotted all the, 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 um, the stories about it. They found some very, very bizarre stuff that the UN had given Australia a mandate to abolish private property, but that couldn't happen until all Australians were recognised in the constitution. I mean, things about how uh, this would enable a, a republic by stealth, uh, things that are just flat out wrong and ill-informed, to put it charitably. So I think while many no voters in this case will have done so for good, solid reasons that made sense to them and were well informed, there are some who've just been told lies. And that, again, to go back to the idea of very large, really substantial reform, that that really cruels the chances of having a well-informed national debate if there is a chunk of the electorate that is just plausibly being told things that are absolute nonsense. I would you should see what they have to say about Torrance title. Oh my lord! Anyway. Yeah, look, I would uh, yeah. I would caution against a um, a thing called nut picking, mm. which is where you find the most extreme thing on your other side, and mm. then you use that yeah, as an example enough. to paint mm. the entire opponents mm. to your idea. And I, Just, I don't and, and I don't think that's the case about the no vote. I think there are plenty of people yeah. who voted no for solid, well thought out reasons that yeah. made a lot of sense to them. On a general mm. uh, fact checking, guys, though. 
the thing about nut picking that I find interesting is often you'll find that when uh, when they are being taken apart, they will obviously find the looniest thing on the other side, but then they'll find the strongest person to refute it, mm. which I think often reveals a lot of the biases of the people who are doing the fact checking. And that's a topic for... Um, for another day. <laughs> for another day for another and day. probably many but wines. Look, misinformation, this, this is a problem though. I mean, I would argue that among other things, we probably need some really good civics education in this country, which the Americans do at, a, at, a, at an early education level. And which is why some people quote the Constitution uh, in these kinds of matters and are quoting the wrong Constitution. Yeah. We don't know very much about our Constitution, and that's what allows some of this madness to flourish. That's what I like about the Australian Constitution. That you, we don't know too much about it. We don't know it. much about it. You don't have to know. <laughs> I, I, I like a government that doesn't interfere in my life. I don't want to have to refer to a 100-year-old mm. book to realise whether I can do this or that. I like things to be simple. And yes, the US citizens may know a lot about the Constitution. Has it helped them? Yeah, not really. Not so much. <laughs> Look, let's let's change tack completely. I want to know when you last went to Commonwealth Park and whether it was a memorable experience. I last went to Commonwealth Park, I believe, in 2003. I went to a floriard and once was enough. I'm sorry, Mr. Barr. I'm sorry. I don't want to go back. No. Are you? A, but you're a, you're a um, you're a flowery, gardeny person. You must love Floriard, which has just ended, I believe. Uh, yeah, dirty secret reveal here. Nah, nah. not really. No, look, I I love gardening. You know that. I love gardening. I love getting my hands dirty in the soil. I love planting things for the future. I love designs and ideas. I love nurturing things. None of that equates to installing tulips in the shape of a large martini glass. <laughs> it's just I, I, I just don't I, I never like vast crowds of people I do not like having extreme glaring combinations of colours in my face and that is pretty much the definition of what happens between September and October Is this just summon out for pensioners? <laughs> it's, well it's it's, it's, Floriade is for other people. That's always my argument about it. And I know there's a wind of reform in place, but Floriade is for busloads of pensioners from the central coast on Zimmer frames. It is not for Canberrans. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, when we, we've had Floriade in the suburbs, Love I that. thought that was bloody fantastic. Jeez, that was good. Yeah. So you got everyone from the Waniassa Sea Scouts to the Gungarland 10 pin bowlers to come along and plant bulbs at the local shops and everyone got involved and they understood what they were doing and they took pride in it. Awesome. And it beautified a yeah. lot of areas that, you know, almost every town centre, every they've got installations of, you know, they put a plants and flowers and trees and stuff. These were actually stunning. Yeah. Like, stop and look yeah. with and, your kids stunning. And, and heartfelt because, mm. hey, we all went and did that together. Mm. I love that. I feel really good about it. You know, your class at the primary school was down here. You know, Nan came and helped. and It had the community feel that really is um, oh, missing it's, from it's Florida. Lacking. It's lacking. So there's there's discussion about, where, and Ian Bushnell has written about this, whether it's time to sort of do a bit of work on Commonwealth Park as a whole. I reckon large cities that work well, often have fantastic parks in the middle of them. They're, they're the lungs, the heart of the place. I've just spent a bit of time in Hokkaido where the Central Park in Sapporo runs multiple city blocks and is beloved by people. You look at Hyde Park in Sydney, Central Park in New York, the Great Parks of London. I think we could just do better than having Commonwealth Park mostly known for tulip installations and random people cycling through it. You don't want to put up apartments? 
No, I don't want to put up apartments in Commonwealth Park. Okay, well, that was my suggestion and it was shot down instantly. Instantly dismissed. Look, on, on, time. on to cars, our motoring correspondent, James Coleman, He's a cautious young man, isn't he? He's a steady citizen, James. Oh, you know, I don't want to out him, <laughs> but he wears driving gloves. <laughs> he does. He wears... <laughs> he's, a, he's a nascent cardigan wearer. He is. <laughs> and he's not even 25 yet. Well, the, this is why... This is why people like, you know, Canberra Toyota and Lamborghini owners will lend him their cars because it comes back and they go, did you have it serviced? <laughs> exactly. Sparkling clean. Interesting take on how to keep your car protected against dings and dents of all kinds. But this is where it links with the obesity mm. crisis. He has pointed out, because we're getting bigger, so are the cars. The cars are getting bigger. And there is this thing... <laughs> oh, stop it. There is this thing for enormous utes, which... You know, I could say we're a sort of a proxy symbol of masculinity for some people. I've got no idea where you're going there because I'm going to tell you I have a bicycle, but no. (laughs) But look, you're so confident in your masculinity that you have no need to take that any further. (laughs) So the cars are getting bigger. The people are getting bigger. Yeah, things like airline seats are increasingly cramped. Yes, yes. Not the parking spaces. Mm. And so you risk when a large person in a large vehicle backs into a parking space constructed for an old-fashioned Commodore wagon, say. Mm, much thinner <laughs> cars, yes. The dinging, the dinging of the sides is, is a very present risk. And who gets to park where is getting very antsy. Well, Zoya, uh, Zoya Patel, our, um, our Thursday opinion writer, has written a great piece and has a photo of one of the notes that was left on a resident in her apartment complex. But the first line got me, and readers, have a look under the opinion section of Right Act. It starts off, dear renter. Ooh, which, you rent the place, you still get the parking spot, you still get the park- do you not? Now, I'm not oh, big on this oh, whole, you know, people talk about privilege. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. as a white male, I've got no idea what the hell they're talking about. However... You can't start off a note to somebody saying, no. dear, dear poor person. I mean, oh, would you do it? Dear non-property owner. Yeah. Oh, that is awful. That's truly awful. I mean, there are so many issues to flow from this. Town planning is fairly appalling when the, you don't have enough parking spots yeah. under your building, when you can't park on the street because there are restrictions almost everywhere. I lived in the city almost 20 years ago. I had to drive from Moore Street in the city to the Canberra pool to park because I couldn't leave my car at home during the day. So it's just, it's bonkers. And we are moving away from vehicles because the theory is that everybody's going to be travelling, you know, either on a scooter or they're going to be catching light rail, which when it goes to Tuggerong in 2043, you'll love it. I thought it was 2075 we'd get to Tuggerong. Well, they won't release the statement. (laughs) But what's, you know, if you actually have kids and you have to drive them someplace Yep. Like to childcare or school. And if you've got one or two, they often yeah. go to different places. And then you've got to get to work. It's impractical. We need, I think, to be sensible about. We've kind of gone off the original talk about digging the doors. But you need to be sensible about people living their lives the way they actually live them. People will have cars. They will use those cars. Again, with reference to Japan, um, cars there are small and they're not that often used. Japan is a place where a lot of people live very close together. There is excellent public transport Mm. absolutely everywhere. So people are really used to walking the short distance to their nearest subway station or bus or whatever it is and the car is used on weekends. We are not in that situation in this city. And Canberra will never be in that situation because even in Sydney, we grew up without a car, but life is a hell of a lot easier with a car. Oh, absolutely. Let's, we've, we've agreed almost throughout this entire thing. Oh, that's how the hell did, don't worry, that'll change. 
this has been The Hoot. Please rate us and review us so other people can discover how excellent and entertaining <laughs> our analysis is. I'm putting analysis in inverted commas. We'll fact check that. Absolutely. Until next week, Mr Murder. Hoot hoot. Hoot hoot, Genevieve. <laughs> <laughs>